Welcome to Ghostly. Has Houdini ever been contacted with a seance? Ghostly is a podcast that comes out every other week. Most of the time, that is. Right now, we are weekly until after Halloween. In each episode, we take a ghost story or a paranormal event and look into its complete history. Rebecca then gives us evidence proving that the story is real. And my job is to debate those pieces of evidence and get you, the listener, prepared to vote on if it's real or not. If you haven't yet, please hit that subscribe button. And as always, we're your host. I'm Pat. And I'm Rebecca. So what's new in the ghostly world, Rebecca? We've got new masks. Yes. Well, we've had masks for a while. We have, but now our new vendor has a quality mask that... Uh, our logo looks amazing on. Yes. And I'm super excited for them. I am too. Uh, I ordered a couple and they should be in any day now. Yeah, I can't wait to see them. And yeah. I hope uh, you all get one too. This is definitely the season for it. Uh, right? But I think any season is a good season for a ghostly podcast mask. Well, now at least. Well, I okay, that's true. Hope, yeah. Oh my goodness, yes. Hopefully in the future. Yeah. But for right now, I'm saying, you know, you can wear them past the Halloween well, season. Well, you know, even after all of this, let's say there is an after all this. There will be. But okay, so if there is, and you're saying that there is, I'm just saying it's not bad to keep one around. Though, I know, you know. I was thinking about that. I could actually see still wearing masks sometimes, especially in flu or season. Just keep it in your bag or your purse or right? whatever. Just or in case. for the men out there, the merce. There you go. Yeah. <laughs> All right. Do we have listener mail for this episode? We have the best listener mail because it came in the mail. It actually came in the mail. I've been begging for this. And we got two in the same day. I am so excited. So we're gonna we're gonna read the first one today, and then we'll we'll share our our next one uh, in the future. Um, but this is from Richard in South Carolina. Ah, so exciting! And I'm gonna read his story, but I I thought it'd be fun to mention that he talks about how he doesn't know what we look like, and um, what do you guess he thinks? Uh, what actor he thinks that you look like? Oh, or what character actually? He says. I mean, you know. Who's the one that plays Thor? <laughs> you know, that's probably Chris, close to me. One of the Chris's. Helmsworth. Yes. Helmsworth. Helmsworth. Yeah. yeah. Okay. Yeah, I, I could see that. I, I would probably go with that or, um, you know, I don't know. Um, I don't know. Who's the one in P.S. I Love You, the Irish guy? Oh, that one I don't know. Sorry. Yeah. But uh you uh, Eddie Vetter is a common one what? for I, you. I, I do not look like Eddie Vetter <laughs> at all. <laughs> well, uh he thinks you sound like you look like Ben Wyatt from Parks and Rec. What does that even mean? Well, that means that your voice, when he hears your voice, who he sees know, in but, pictures I mean, in his mind is Ben Wyatt from Parks and Recreation. Which I look is, uh, nothing Adam like. Scott. I look nothing like the man. Well, I, that might be true, but that's who he sees. And you want to know who he uh, sees when he hears my voice? Um, One of your favorite, Meg, Meg Ryan. Um, no, not Meg Ryan. Mm, Melanie Griffin. This is one of no Griffith. I think Griffith. Melanie yeah. Griffith. No. Um. Let's see. 
Hmm. I was trying to give you a hint. It's oh, one okay. of the actresses that plays a really favorite character of yours. Really favorite character. Well, from one of your favorite movie series. <gasps> Ellie with an I? Ellie with an I. Elizabeth Shue is who he pictures. Wow. I know. That's you look nice. exactly like her, too. I so. really do. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Let me read his story for you here. All right. Okay. So he says, uh, so when my 15-year-old son was about five months old, I was home alone with him one day. He was in his high chair while I was feeding him. I was sitting facing him when he suddenly burst into giggles. He was looking up over my right shoulder and reached out to something. The Mm. way babies do when they want to be picked up. So I'm guessing like with both hands is what that means. Yeah. Okay, he continued to uh, belly laugh, giggling for about 10 seconds. I looked over my shoulder. Of course, we were alone. When I turned back, he was waiting for the next spoonful like nothing ever happened. It gave me chills, but then I realized if he was giggling, it wasn't anything scary. Maybe it was his great-grandmother who passed a few months earlier or a guardian angel. Either way, it never happened again. Wow. Well, kids often laugh when they see me, so <laughs> maybe, you know, if we were going to go with the Parks and Rec, maybe more of a Chris Pratt. Oh, That's where I'm going to yeah. go with. Okay, I can With see a that. little bit of Ron Swanson okay. mixed in, I you know? Can, yeah, with the, with the facial Sorry, hair. I'm just stuck on this I whole thing. I understand. Yeah. It is really interesting because I do the same thing. Like, I listen to a lot of podcasts and there's yeah. definitely people on my podcast that then when you actually look them up, you're like, oh, that's not what I was picturing. No, I know. And we actually had somebody that did that to us early on. And I I never heard from them again. And oh. I don't think that they listen anymore. Oh, well, sorry. I scared them away. Sorry if we I, disappoint. I, I don't so know. So maybe never look up what we actually look like. So. <laughs> All right. Well, if you want to send us any mail, you can mail us uh, a story or just a letter or anything to say hi uh, to P.O. Box 264, Geneva, Illinois, 60134. You can also leave us a voicemail at 630-448-2138. Or you can send us an email to info at ghostlypodcast.com. Or if you're like, I can't remember all of that, just go to ghostlypodcast.com and click on contact. Yeah. And there's a form right there. If you do send us the snail mail, send it to Ghostly Podcast. Put that instead of Rebecca and Pat. Like like both of our listener mail, I think they did that. But I want the... I want the um, the post office guy to see this. Oh, to like, see Ghostly Podcast and be like, yeah, I wonder what this is. Exactly, yeah. Nice, Because we nice. need more mailmen listening to us, I think. Okay, Ma- mail carriers. We need more carriers of the mail listening, listening to us. <laughs> uh, especially if they're skeptic bros, non-gender specific. All right, so... Uh, it's very interesting. Like, so the polls don't scare me. This one. Oh, okay. Because they were just like test polls. Yeah, this was just to get people's initial thoughts on if they believe that seances are real. Very interesting results, Rebecca. Yeah. You want to tell us? About uh, them? yeah. They are. I didn't. I. This is. Yeah. I was not expecting this. Uh, fifty fifty. Fifty fifty. Now I'm going to be honest. It doesn't include my vote. Then I, I could have maybe pushed it. 
Uh, it doesn't include mine either. Oh, okay. All right. Well, then so if fine. we both voted, yeah. then... We cancel each other out. That's usually what I yeah. figure. Uh, anyway, so no, that's a, that's super interesting. That means we both got a chance. Well, I mean, I'm just thinking that that means that this is actually something kind of needed. We kind of need to talk about this. Absolutely. If people are 50-50 on this, I, I want to lean it one way or the other. Yeah. At, at the end of the month, we'll see. Yep. Um, so... Um, make sure that you keep on voting and we will have an episode at the end uh, that is on the 28th and that will be our conclusion episode. So you can let us know uh, if your votes changed at all. Yeah, we'd love to hear if you're like, you know what, after the month of episodes. Yeah, listening to Pat, I, I totally now am, oh, I mean, listening to Rebecca and Pat, uh-huh. you know, I totally now feel a certain way. There you go. <laughs> All right. So do you have a ghost story for I us? I do. All right. I would love to hear this ghost story. Okay, here we go. I'm so excited. Tonight, I have been invited to a Houdini seance. I've never been to one before, but my boyfriend's uncle is an old school magician and he decided to have people over on Halloween and try to recreate the Houdini seance. When we arrived, everything was so perfect, just like I pictured in my mind. There were 12 people and we had fancy food and drinks from the 20s and everybody dressed up like it was the roaring 20s. You could feel energy in the room. Finally, at 11.30, Travis's Uncle George called us into the library. Did I mention we were in a swanky, huge apartment in the city? We all sat down around a large circular table, and George sat with a crystal ball in front of him. There were other spooky-looking implements, too, but I didn't know what they were or what they do. Then the lights went out, leaving us bathed in candlelight. It made everyone's faces glow and bounce with shadows. George started to call for Houdini to visit us. He read some long passages that supposedly Bess used to read in the years after Houdini's death. I didn't always follow them, but they talked a lot about this being a safe space and how we wanted to see him, talk to him. After 10 minutes of this, George called out loudly, Houdini, make your presence known now. Suddenly, a crashing sound. We all turned our heads towards the bookshelf where the noise had come to see a flower pot and a book on Houdini's life had fallen to the ground. I'm going to just admit it here. I screamed at this moment. George ran over to the fallen book and told us something I will never forget. The book had opened to a page where Houdini asks, do the dead return? Wow. So how much of this is uh, Rebecca fish, uh, fiction? Um, so the, the exact setting is Rebecca, but the story of what happened at the seance mm. is based on one done in the 70s in Niagara Falls. Oh, wow. Okay. I like Niagara Falls. Yeah. Very nice area. But that, that did happen where a flower pot and the book... That was a book about Houdini fell, and it fell to that page. So they say. So they say. So uh, we are on our second episode of the month. Usually, that would mean that we're done for the month, right? (laughs) Right. (laughs) But uh, we still have two more episodes coming out this month, every Wednesday. 
This episode is one I've been really excited for as long as we've been planning the whole seance concept. The reason why is we are talking about Houdini. He is one of the biggest skeptics of all time. Wow, so like your mentor. He, Yeah, pretty much. I mean, I don't know if there would be a skeptic Pat if there wasn't a skeptic Houdini. Wow. Um, but like me, he still had an interest in the occult. Um, I would argue, though, that his interest came because he felt like people were being ripped off by psychics and mediums. Uh, and in general, people of the spiritualist movement, they just, at that point, there was a lot of money to be made in, in the spiritualist movement. Houdini was more famous than anyone else in his day, world-renowned. I mean, like, people knew him everywhere he went. And when he would go into a new town, the people would actually call off work to go see him, which was unusual for this day. Nobody ever called off work then. So um, we actually have a great interview that we did with this with the amazing Jacob Mayfield in this episode. So he has spent the last year studying Houdini, but he's been a fan of his his entire life. Uh, there's nobody better to ask about Houdini than Jacob Mayfield. Oh, yeah. I knew right away when we were going to do this episode that he was the one we needed to go to. Oh, yeah, definitely. Definitely. Uh, we are extremely honored to have him. Rebecca and I first met him at the Elgin Fringe Fest last year. Uh, he came out to our show. And if you listen to that episode you could even hear him ask us a question on there. Yep, that's how we met him, was that's him asking him. a question. Well, actually, we met him at the pitch. Um, oh, the that's Elgin. right, we did. So, you know, when you do one of those things, um, a lot of the people that come to see you are people that actually have other shows going on. So you want to pitch your idea to these people then. So we you know, we met him that day and we talked and uh, he said he was going to come out to the show. I didn't believe he was going <laughs> to come out to the show, but he did. So I'm going to say that this is his second time on Ghostly. Uh, make a note for any future trivia. Um, by the way, he is also an amazing musician, uh, which you could hear at one of his shows. He literally plays the songs that you are thinking on the piano, and he sings them. Yeah, he is a mentalist, and it's pretty amazing. It is, like, freaky. Mm -hmm. uh, it's freaky how accurate, you know. You have to keep reminding yourself that, you know, there's some way he's doing it, but it's it's a lot of science, a lot of everything. He's just an amazing person, though. Uh, so this episode is going to be a little bit different than last week's episode, as we actually had our ghost story mm -hmm. last time, we didn't have a ghost story, and we are going to do a little debating in this episode. Oh, yeah. There's no need for a history section, as Jacob covers everything that I want to say in relation to Houdini's seances. Um, there's a lot more to Houdini, though, than what we bring up in this episode. This episode could be hours long if we were to cover every detail of Houdini's life. Um, there's a lot more suspected paranormal activity, too, Rebecca's brought up about Houdini beyond the seances. But for this episode, 
we're going to stick to events that have something to do with the seances to a degree. Uh, During the interview, though, I do want to say it was recorded on Zoom, so uh, the audio quality is not, you know, our our standard. Um, but we did it for social distancing purposes. And you may hear it skip a little bit a couple of times. Uh, I think that's because my internet connection was not that strong. So please pardon the audio. Um, but I still think you get the point of what Jacob was saying. Yeah, and it really only happened a few times towards the end. So I most of the time, it's going to be yeah, not, absolutely. not bad. And as I said, I still think you get the message, though. Absolutely. And uh, uh, it was exciting. And again, don't worry, I'm going to have a lot of sources listed in the show notes if you're someone that wants to do a deeper dive on Houdini. Yeah. You know, there, there'll be plenty Who of resources. Knows? Maybe we could do another episode someday. We might. Um, so at that, we're going to take a break. When we come back, you're going to hear the interview. Again, like last week, this is a longer interview, so we're probably going to take one more break then and come back for the the debate. Oh, hey there, Count Panic. I got a question for you. What's that, Bob? What do you know about Mothman, the Loch Ness Monster, ghosts, demons, and things that go bump in the night? Not much, Bob. Well, lucky for you, we host a podcast called Bob After Dark, where we talk about legends, lore, and the supernatural. Wow, where can I find this podcast? Wherever you find your great podcasts at. We would like to welcome Jacob Mayfield to Ghostly. I'm so excited about this. Me um, too. Yeah. Jacob is a mind reader, a mentalist, and a psychic entertainer. Uh, and, and an Pat, awesome person. And an awesome person. No! Uh, that <laughs> Pat and I met uh, just about a year ago. Um, uh, we were both at Elgin Fringe Festival, and we were lucky enough to see his show, and it was amazing. And so been it looking was. for a way to get him on our show uh, all this time, and I'm very excited that we get to do it. So welcome, Jacob. Oh, thank you so much. Mm-hmm. You know, it's such a mutual feeling because I got to see your show at Elgin Fringe last year as well, mm-hmm. and I had never seen a podcast done live, and it was super entertaining. It was one of the favorite, my favorite things that I saw there. So oh, I've oh, been comically you. excited for this interview, <laughs> probably too excited, but here I am. You know, a little secret, we had never saw a live podcast either, so we were kind of just playing it by ear. Yeah, it was just kind of, I don't know what happens at one of these, but yeah, this is exactly. what we'll do, so. Mm-hmm. <laughs> the best one you'd ever seen. Yes. Well, we've seen some by since default. then. I don't know. <laughs> I don't know if I'd say that we were the best, but... It was fun. <laughs> yeah, definitely. definitely. Well, Jacob, we brought you on here because you've got a really unique show coming up and it fits the theme of this episode. So could you tell us a little bit about your show that's coming up at the on, uh, Halloween, I believe? Yes. Halloween night, we are doing a Houdini seance. Um, currently, I have an artist in residency at a, a speakeasy called Room 13 in Chicago. Now, Room 13 is a members-only speakeasy in Lakeview. So you go down an alley, you walk down these stone stairs to this building. It's over 100 years old. You knock on the door, you give them the password. And if you're a member, 
you get to go in and it's like this very intimate speakeasy. There's a live pianist on Saturdays. They only do drinks from like the golden age of jazz and kind of those wow. really great speakeasy cocktails. They're delicious. Um, and they're, it's a members only club. However, they also do live shows and events. And if you buy a ticket to one of our shows, you get to come to the club, you get to see Ooh. the whole experience. Ooh. And I have loved the idea of a Houdini seance ever since I was a little kid. And I feel like I finally, which is such a weird thing to love as a kid, right? <laughs> <laughs> Probably not for a lot of our uh, listeners, but <laughs> I never know. Always, right, I had always been so interested in the idea and I finally felt like I came to a point in my development as an artist and as a performer where I was ready to take on the challenge. So I spent over a year kind of creating, building the show, working with uh, people with scripting and directing and music and prop builders and antiquing and just researching. And we're going to do it Halloween night, which is the anniversary of Houdini's death. So wow. I'm just, wow. I'm super excited. It is it was such a huge undertaking um, artistically yeah. in so many details. Um, you've seen our show before. Normally when I'm performing, we do a lot of, um, I, I say we, because I also work with my husband, uh, Shane. We do a lot of corporate work, private parties. We do our residency at Room 13. We do a show called Psychic Speakeasy. But normally we don't do anything too creepy or too spooky. You know, it's a lot it's of fun. light entertainment. It's fun. Yeah. You know, it's a fun I don't night. know. I would... I would argue you knowing all the answers is probably spookier than anything else. So, <laughs> You know, it's funny. You said one of my favorite things someone said to me after a show is they said, you know, it was a very like older woman. She said, you know what, young man, you seem very friendly, but what you do is so creepy. <laughs> that is still like my favorite like audience reaction. That's the great. way she said it was so funny. And I'd always been interested in seances, people who perform theatrical seances and recreations, and we're excited to do it. And by the time that this comes out, I think we'll be completely sold out. At the time wow. of filming, we're already 80% filled uh, sold out. So that's amazing. Wow. That is that is incredible. <laughs> yeah, very exciting. Well, I know that you've intrigued Pat because he likes anything where there's like a password to get in. Like yeah. I could see his face when you said yeah. that. He's like, I need to go there. <laughs> a password. I need to figure this password out. <laughs> yeah, it's funny. I've seen them reject people for not having the correct password. Wow. Um, there was an it's old legit bartender. Is what you're saying. Oh, it's very legit. I saw him open the door and he said password, and they said we don't have it. And he just like slammed the door shut. There was so, no conversation. Just wow. no. <laughs> so we do not have it is not the correct password to get in, you're saying. That is not the correct <laughs> password. Okay. <laughs> I'm gonna check that one off. That was right. that was right at the top of the list there, too. So <laughs> oh, that's so great. Well, you know, I wanted to start out, um, so you told us a little bit about kind of how you decided to do this and that you liked it as a kid. Um, but, I, you know, I'm sure who, a lot of our listeners, you kind of mentioned, they may not have dreamed about this as a child. Um, but, but I think a lot of us heard of Houdini, right? Mm -hmm. We've seen things about him, heard a little bit about him. But I thought if you wanted to maybe just start us off, any any tidbits about his history that you learned while you were researching for the show, which I can't believe a year antiquing. I don't know. I heard a lot of things going on in there, uh, but anything that you learned that uh, would be interesting that our listeners might not know about Houdini. Totally. Um, why don't I give you like the, the 92nd kind of, you know, cliff notes of his life. And I talked about that in the show. I'm like, if we're going to attempt to contact the spirit of Houdini, 
we should probably know who Houdini was, you know, otherwise, mm-hmm. what are we doing? So he was born in 1874 in Budapest, Hungary. And as a young child, they immigrated to Appleton, Wisconsin. Which is where my brother with... lives. Sorry. No way. <laughs> it's like super exciting. Yeah. Like and there's a museum <laughs> too, right? There is a museum, which I've yeah. never visited in the like 20 years that he's lived there. But anyways, keep going. <laughs> um, no, it's fine. So bad. It's a pretty cool museum. So yeah. I check it out. Yeah. Um, What's interesting with Houdini is his whole life, he claimed Appleton, Wisconsin as his birthplace and his hometown. And one of the things that made the research so interesting was that Houdini embellished and adjusted elements of his life story his entire life. And on top of that, you look at, there's so many news reporters. Um, I'd read accounts of you know spiritual, spiritualist investigations and two different reporters would have completely different reports. So, you know, there wow. are dates that wouldn't match up. I remember we had talked about encyclopedias before we went on the air. This is so <laughs> random. Um, I remember as a kid going to the Encyclopedia Britannica, getting out, you know, age, finding Houdini, and it listed two birth dates. Yes. So wow. one wasn't correct, or perhaps both weren't. <laughs> um, <laughs> but I, that, it was very interesting kind of untangling all that. Uh, he moved to New York, you know, he was born Eric Weiss. And he got his stage name, Harry Houdini, in New York. As a kid, he was working at a tie-cutting factory, and he was reading a book by this very famous French magician named Robert Houdin. And excuse my French, if, you know, I'm a professional mind reader, not professional <laughs> French speaker. Um, <laughs> sounded fancy right, to me. <laughs> it sounded mildly <laughs> fancy. Um, so he's reading this book, and he says to his friend, you know, this guy named Robert Houdin wrote this book. And his friend said, you know, in French, if you add an I to the end of a word, it means like. Now, that's not true. And it's not <laughs> pronounced Houdin, but mm. Harry Houdini was born. A lot of his friends, they would, instead of Eric, they call him Harry or Harry. And that kind of was the beginning of that part of his life. He became most famous for doing escapes during his life. He was, of course, always a magician. Uh, but if we look at why the public really adored him and why he was so interesting to people... You know, he would escape from crates, straitjackets, handcuffs, shackles, chains, milk cans, a tortoise shell on one occasion. Whoa. Gross. Didn't he he do an airplane escape as well? He did. This is so interesting. They bring up airplanes. So he was the first person to fly an airplane in Australia. Oh. Because he just really wanted to do that. (laughs) Okay. Um, Okay. He was really a publicity-minded individual. And he owned a movie studio at one point and he would star in these films and they're in public domain now so if you go on youtube or different like mm. archival resources on the internet you can watch and his acting ability is questionable you know yeah. um definitely you know a premier escape artist magician um actor maybe not so much uh <laughs> but he, in one of his films he does this daring like plane escape and he does hold a cinematic history first. I actually just discovered this in the last few months. He's the first person to ever fight a robot on film. Oh. Mm. To fight super, a robot? Yes, to, wow. for a human like randomness. To fight a robot. Wow. It's, his whole life really is best described as the phrase randomness. Yeah. <laughs> um, so he goes through his whole life and he's doing escapes. He tours Europe. He's touring vaudeville. He had done all these different elements of American entertainment, circuses, carnivals, um, music halls. When his mother died in the early 1900s, he was somebody who was really a devoted 
I don't want to say like a mama's boy, but was really like a very close connection with his mother. Mm-hmm. And at the time, spiritualism was once again going through a wave of popularity in America. So he really wanted to contact his mother. And there's this very famous seance that occurs in his life. And it's himself, his wife, uh, Bess, and uh, Sir Arthur Conan Doyle, the author of Sherlock mm-hmm. Holmes. Oh, yeah. And his wife, Jean. So they all go to the Conan Doyle's home. And she's like, I'm going to attempt to contact your mother, Harry. So her um, form of mediumship that she practiced most frequently in these um, settings was automatic writing, mm-hmm. which can look lots of different ways. It could be someone just writing stream of consciousness. It could be pictures, doodles. But the idea is that you put a writing implementation in your hand or attached to a planchette, and then you decode it. So they sit down. Gene writes all this stuff down. And Harry looks at it, and he is very upset because at the top is a cross and it's all written in English and the Houdinis were Jewish and his father was a rabbi. So they never would have used that religious symbol and she could not um, read or write in English. She could only read and write in Hungarian. Mm. So Houdini sees this and he's like, this is obviously fraudulent. And he starts this huge chapter of his life trying to debunk fraudulent spiritualism. Which is my favorite part of his life, I think. <laughs> it's, it's super interesting because is. you have this person kind of touring with a magic act, but also escaping, yeah. but also going around to random, like, both churches and private homes and debunking spiritualists. It's a, a unique and very eclectic yeah. kind of lifestyle the last 20 years. He was the um, number one skeptic in his day, so. Oh, yeah. yeah. <laughs> but he also really... You know, people always debate, especially with the seances, like, he was a skeptic, but did he want to believe? And I think because he investigated so much, there definitely was an interest, Yeah. you know? And we'll actually get, I want to circle back to that in a moment, because there's a really interesting caveat at the end of his life. Um, So he keeps touring, he's doing very well. In 1926, he's backstage, and somebody mentions, you know, I heard that you can withstand blows to the stomach. And he said, yeah. And this person punches his stomach, his appendix ruptures. It goes untreated, and he dies on Halloween 1926. Mm. What's interesting is, although he was a skeptic, he, um, his wife, Bess, and him made a compact. They made a deal, which was whoever would die first, the other would try to make contact. Mm-hmm. And they set up a code. And she conducted seances very frequently after his death. Um, some accounts say that she would try to contact him every day. Like she would try to call upon his spirit daily. Uh, We do know that she tried at least once a week formally for about 10 years. Um, But it's interesting because obviously, you know, a skeptic of the time, but still believed enough to say, you know, if I can, here's a code and here's how we'll prove if it's real. So there's something interesting. I think like when I was a kid and learning about Houdini compared to like my most recent pandemic induced researching is there's so much more nuance in his life compared to like when I was first learning about him as a kid. Mm -hmm. And that's one of those moments where, you know, it's very interesting of, you know, he wouldn't have been exploring this in the first place if he hadn't an interest, you know, the idea of the code, um, there's all these unique elements and they continue doing seances for 10 years. The last one was 1936. And it has been a tradition that has remained very strong in magic and mystic communities till now, almost a hundred years later. Mm. Absolutely. Yeah. That's, that's such an interesting point to, yeah, for us, uh, 
reminds me of you, Pat, where you're a skeptic, but you have like this deep interest in this subject. I really want to believe. I just haven't found that evidence that proves it to me. Yeah, it's just that's a I, so I, you don't think of that with Houdini you want, or we, see, we want to put people in a category. You know, yeah. they're a skeptic, they're a believer, they're a this, they're a that. And, you know, that he kind of had that nuance is, is super interesting. <laughs> And I think that's interesting, too, the idea of categorizing, because I think when we look at Houdini now, one of the reasons he stayed so popular is we think of him as the world's greatest magician. And a lot of historians argue, they will debate, (laughs) during his lifetime, was he the world's greatest magician or the world's greatest escape artist? Was he Mm. a public figure? How did the public view him? Um, I have this great quote in the show from Orson Welles, who saw him as a child in his last tour. And he said... So his last tour was one act was traditional magic. Second act was escapes. Third was debunking spiritualists on stage. And Orson Welles said um, the magic was, and his quote was, terrible stuff. Like as a child, Orson Welles was like, it was bad. And he felt the escapes and the spiritualist um, kind of lecture and expose was very interesting. But it's, you know, even the fact that Houdini has become a verb in English, like that person pulled a Houdini. Oh, yeah. There are many yeah, other people right. yeah. um, where their name has become a verb. And I think part of that, too, and what I found so interesting when I first started my research was Houdini, based on what I've been able to read and statements of others, was the first person to have a publicist after their death. So wow. best, yeah, so Bess Houdini and Edward Saint. Edward Saint was the person who was the medium in the final official Houdini seance of 1936. Um, they publicized him for over a decade. His brother Hardeen was also a magician and they had people actively publicizing him. They were trying to get a movie deal, which of course didn't happen until the 50s with Tony Curtis. Um, and they were actively, you know, writing books and articles and engaging with the media and using the kind of the Houdini family name and that tradition to continue to support themselves. And I don't mean that in a, like a judgmental way, mm-hmm. but it's, it's fascinating because now we think of celebrities like Marilyn Monroe or um, Elvis, the Beatles, um, which not all of them are deceased mm-hmm. at time of recording. Yes. <laughs> um, mm-hmm. Well, but, some um, would argue that too. Some, right? some oh, Beatles might be deceased that, yeah. <laughs> conspir- I, yeah. No, I've gone down that route. Super, <laughs> like, well, I, I do remember reading there was like a particular book that came out like, at, you know, after his death that like was, you know, really helped a whole genera- new generation. You know, he's definitely something, somebody that kind of was kept up in the public's eye um over the years so that's really interesting and i yeah. um and just uh like of course you know hamilton just came out yeah. <laughs> that i finally got a chance to see it but like the idea that like his wife really worked so hard after his death to like keep his papers and like do everything to to keep him in the p- consciousness um that sorry I, that's what i do is i just try to make connections between things i learned and like that's no, just totally. that's where I, I am is that that idea of like um if you, especially if you, if you, how old was Houdini when he passed? Like that, you know, he was uh, 50. Um, um, you know what? I, I would have to do the math really but quick. That's I'm all right. It's not math. a mathematician. <laughs> <laughs> but like younger, young. I mean, I'm not like, I mean, not that he was, you know, 20, but like there, it's one of those things where it definitely helped to have people continuing to push his, his memory. Oh, completely. After. And I think in the research there were, as far as figures I found really interesting, you know, I'd known about Houdini, you know, most of my life, 
But I found his wife to be so interesting, especially after his death, her continuing to reinvent herself, mm. um, how she continued to publicize him, how, how that would really become a tradition with like huge um, American media icons. You know, that's mm-hmm. something Absolutely. we still see today. I also found her relationship with Edward Saint very interesting because not only was he her romantic partner later in life, but also a business partner, very similar to what she had with Harry. Um, another name that had come up was uh, Arthur Arthur Ford. This is so odd. So the in 1920, and I just want to double check the date, 1929. I don't want any emails from the Houdini historians I listening. Mean, <laughs> no. Oh, they'll email. They'll email. Yeah, they will. 19, uh, 29, Arthur Ford allegedly had like cracked the Houdini code in a seance. And then years later, it was said, just kidding, that never happened. And that was something we're researching it. There were various reports of if that code had been published, if it had not been published, how he had discovered it, was Bess an accomplice in that and something she had done for publicity? Was she a grieving widow who had been taken advantage of? Mm. And that was another part where I feel like when you hear the condensed history, it's like he died in 26. And 10 years later was the last one, at, you know, in Hollywood atop the Knickerbocker Hotel. And that was a very yeah. interesting event in itself. But that weird, nuanced, kind of muddy historical one is usually just kind of swept out. Mm. And digging into stuff like that and the people and the elements of how it could have happened and different, you know, primary source accounts from people who were there or who knew them personally was very mm-hmm. interesting and a lot of fun. Yeah. Are there any particularly famous occurrences over the years of the Houdini seance that you found interesting? I mean, so that, there, there's that one or were there any mm-hmm. others? And it doesn't have to be in those 10 years either. So I know it's been done since then. The one that I found most interesting was that final one in 1936. And there's a couple reasons. So it's in old Hollywood. It's atop the Knickerbocker Hotel. They sent out 300 invitations that were gold sealed they carpeted the entire rooftop and they radio broadcasted the event. And you, once again, what's great with this time in history is a lot of the media has entered public domain. It's very easy to access, but you can listen to the final Houdini radio broadcast. Yeah. And what's interesting is like nothing happens. Yeah. So it's 300 people like, you know, these very important people from the magic industry and Hollywood and the press. And you have Edward Saint and Bess and he's just talking and you're just on the other end imagining, but nothing happens. And it's so interesting that somebody is using so much showmanship to like fill that 30 minutes and make it interesting when they're, then really there's nothing happening. They're all just kind of looking at a table with items on it. Um, yeah. So the seance ends. And my favorite part of the whole recording is Bess Houdini comes up to the microphone and she makes her final statement. And she says, you know, it's been 10 years. I don't believe that he can come back, you know, I've tried, good night, Harry. And this, it ends, which in itself is crazy because there's some video of Houdini. There's one audio recording, but it's on a wax cylinder. Mm-hmm. And it sounds like someone screaming into a horn, which is what happened, you know, when you're making like a wax cylinder recording. Sure. So we don't have a strong sense of like how he sounded as a performer. But with Bass, you know, radio coming in the 30s, you really get a sense for like the person in a really interesting way. So, you know, she says, good night, Harry. They shut everything down and it had been a clear night. And at that moment, the sky cracked open and it poured rain onto wow. everyone in Hollywood. Now, you know, I, my husband's from California. And if you're, if you live in Chicago, 
the weather changing immediately isn't particularly amazing or unusual. Happens daily. That's just kind of yeah. like Tuesday. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Um, and I asked him, because a lot of people in attendance stated, like, this was impossible and amazing. And I thought, was it? And he said, you know, he had lived in California his whole childhood. And a weather change like that is very unexpected. That's not mm. something you would expect. There's been other reports and accounts of small, unique things happening in seances. When it ended, when Best did her last one in 1936, people still wanted to keep doing it because it was on Halloween. And I wonder, like, had he died October 30th, like, would we be having this conversation right now? Vincent Price died October 20, I don't remember the exact date, but no one does a Vincent Price seance. <laughs> Well, that I you know, know of. I would do a maybe. Vincent. I mean, yes, I'm sure. So well, you could. This is something you could you him. could do. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> I mean, I love Vincent Price. I don't want to get on a tangent. If you haven't seen him make a meal in a dishwasher on Johnny Carson, you haven't lived. All right. Yeah. Very yeah. weird. Um, but you know, I think part of it. It's on Halloween. Of course, we associate Halloween with a day where the veil between the living and the dead is at its thinnest. He had this intense interest in spiritualism. They had prepared for, you know, attempts at communication after the passing of one of them. But I think magic organizations picked up on it. It makes great TV specials. And every, like, decade or so, you'll see a major, you know, um, TV network would do, like, a Houdini seance special because um, it's nice Halloween time programming. Um, there's also a Houdini seance room at the Magic Castle where you get a multi-course, oh. like, gourmet meal and then a medium comes in and it's a Victorian room. There's items from Houdini's life that he touched and handled. And there's like almost a wow. psychometric um, component. And I think just that interest has really kind of propelled forward into mm -hmm. something that's become a really rich tradition. And I don't know, it's just something very special, a very unique event. Absolutely. Absolutely. I've, I've watched some of them. Um, most of them, you know, I just... Like, like you said that there was 300 people invited to me. It's like, if you want to make an intimate contact with somebody, you know, that's supposed, you know, that's dead, that's not supposed, but is dead. Um, yes. Would you want to invite 300 people to that kind of thing and make it this like elaborate celebration? I don't know. It's interesting. Um, after some of the original seances in the decade after his death, different spiritualists would comment on it. And yeah. there's some pretty scathing um, articles written of people mm. being like, this is a complete publicity. No one would ever contact, like, th there's no medium who would set up these circumstances in which to contact okay. an individual. Um, I think for me, our show, so we're doing two seatings on Halloween, mm -hmm. and it's 13 guests. And okay. the number for a tr seance Perfect. traditionally is either 12 and the medium makes 13, or 13 guests in addition to the medium. And for me, that's it's very intimate. And have I yeah. ever attended a seance? I, mean, I have not. I mean, I, you know, we kind of tried to do one when I was younger, but it was, it, yeah, it was just <laughs> it's, BS. So it's super interesting. I've, there's two seances that I've attended that I always keep in my mind when mm. I was planning this. And they both occurred in Florida. The one was at Disney World. And it was, you know, the Haunted oh, wow. Mansion ride. You know, you go through the ride and Madame Yoda, crystal balls floating. And I remember seeing that as a kid and I wasn't scared at all. Um, I didn't think it was, you know, spirits. I Like I knew it was tricks and, you know, mm -hmm. jiggery pokery and shenanigans. Um, years later in my 20s, I attended a seance. It was myself, another mind reader 
And people who were in entertainment at Universal Studios, we all knew a medium. We were traveling down there to see some friends. And there were people who worked in like the Wizarding World of Harry Potter and like some other shows there. And it was a traditional seance. There was no, um, you know, trickery to my knowledge. And it wasn't entertaining. It was at times a little dull Mm -hmm. and very intense for some sitters. Um, One person had a very visceral reaction. I think when you're watching a seance in a movie, uh, you know, it seems, it's hard to really put yourself in that situation. It's so distinctively different than things we have in the 21st century. Sure. You kind of look back at a historic seance. Um, But her reaction was she got very hot and she started crying and she really needed time to console herself. Mm -hmm. I didn't know for my seance. I wanted it to be, you know, an entertainment endeavor. Um, but you never know what can happen in a seance room. You know, mm-hmm. spooky things happen all the time. Sure. And I don't know. I think what a seance is for people, it can be very different. There's so many different ways to do a seance, which, of mm-hmm. course, was very interesting in the research. Um, like, would we turn all the lights off is a big question. Mm-hmm. Uh, darkness is terrifying to people. You sure, know, we live in such an electronic world. Mm-hmm. I'm, it's hard to imagine the last time we were in pure darkness. Right. And yeah. to be in an environment that's unfamiliar in mm-hmm. darkness is, it is terrifying. You almost don't even have to do anything. If you just sit people <laughs> in darkness for like 10 minutes, right. they, yeah, they will scare themselves. Yeah. Yes. Mm-hmm. Oh, I mean, like, be terrifying. Um, I think ambiance is also very important from a theatrical standpoint for me. When I'm practicing, it might be Tuesday afternoon, and I'm in, you know, like a t-shirt and some jeans at the kitchen table. And that's not particularly spooky. Uh, yeah. but when you're in an <laughs> over 100-year-old building in a members-only speakeasy, only candlelit on Halloween, like wow. the atmosphere is so intense. Mm-hmm. And it, that in itself is so magical. And that is something that really excited me about the experience is, mm-hmm. you know, we, we love the kind of performing we do. And I love the kind of shows I do where... I might be entertainment at a party or something additional for a corporate event, but to do something where the ambiance is so built in, where people can get, you know, a cocktail from the era and the attire for audience members is black. So everyone will be arriving in all black, you know, to go into this spooky area, to experience something with an intimate group of people. um, I think it's very special. And even in creating the seance, one thing that came up very early was from the era or did I want to use like contemporary techniques? Mm. And for me personally, I want to use exactly the techniques and the tools that would have been used in that time period. Okay. And I was amazed at how stunning and startling and spooky and deceptive and amazing those are over a hundred. That was so cool. And I think as a performer to do something in the way that a medium would have, there's some of that to the evening and the performance compared to if I had you know, a whole bunch of like electronic things rigged up and I was pressing buttons on my iPhone behind a book or something. <laughs> sure. <laughs> so what, yeah. what are your, what are your Move expectations on. and hopes for I'm on such a tan? <laughs> I'm so sorry, <laughs> listeners. <laughs> I think for me, my expectations are, I want it to be, and this sounds like such a cheesy line of ad copy, but I want it to be a Halloween. The audience will not forget. Okay. You know, I think there's, Halloween has grown in popularity with adults mm. over the last few decades in a really intense and really amazing way. And I think sometimes the options for adults can be very limited. Um, you can go to a party, you can go trick or treating with your children or someone else's children. Um, sometimes the grown up elements for Halloween can be quite grown up. 
Um, yeah. And I wanted something that was very elegant, very spooky. There's no like gore or jump scares within the experience. Um, so there's just something very special and very interesting. The other thing too is just the experience of it. You can watch um, like a depiction of a, or read a depiction of a seance in a book, but to go to a room where you can feel the objects where you like, so for example, we use a spirit board in the okay. show and I don't use like a Ouija board. We have a two foot in diameter antique hand painted spirit board. That's huge. Wow. And it is, I'll have to, the, there's some pictures on my Instagram and stuff, but it is gigantic and wow. it is very spooky. And there's some, and in the show towards the end, I have two people come up and they use the spirit board. And there's something really unique about touching something that is that old, is handcrafted, hand lacquered, mm -hmm. hand painted, and touching that on Halloween in that environment. And you have, you know, the smell of, you know, a prohibition cocktail. You see everyone else dressed in black. It's something very unique that's kind of beyond a show and into a really exciting experience. Mm -hmm. And we even discussed would we want to do a Houdini seance multiple nights? And we may, we've had some debate if we would ever want to add a show on Friday. Mm. But for me, a Houdini seance, at least at this point in my life and career, is for Halloween. Mm -hmm. This is sure. an experience yeah. that happens once a year only. Yeah. only. Well, there's an element of magic that does have to do with time and place and all of that. I mean, if you, you know want to go down that road, which we haven't done a lot of on, on Ghostly yet, but, but that idea of, you know, oh, yeah. there, it, it, the... <laughs> It, you know, if you to do it other days or other times, sometimes then just starts to seem like, well, I'm just doing it to do it, you know, as opposed to right. because I actually want to see what happens, you know, it can feel a little over commercialized. Mm -hmm. um, and in fact, our um, so, you know, at the time of this recording, we're currently in a COVID-19 world. And one of the questions we have is, you know, in the event we have to cancel due to health and safety reasons, which, of course, is always our number one priority. We want pe people to feel safe and secure because. Well, one, we want them to be safe because we're not evil people. But also, if you don't feel <laughs> safe, you're not going to have an enjoyable experience. Sure. Yeah, know? absolutely. Um, and our, our makeup day, or kind of our rain date, if you <laughs> will, is Houdini's birthday in March. Oh, sure. Which we thought also felt very special and very, you know, just right. It, it felt weird to be like, oh, you know, a Friday in May. Yeah, yeah, just random, <laughs> random yeah. Friday. Yeah, you know, yeah. Friday afternoon, we're all gonna yeah. go out for lunch afterwards. <laughs> yes. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, definitely with the seance. I, I mean, it would have to happen in the evening, mm -hmm. definitely, yeah. and and it has to be something that feels special to that to that person. I mean, mm -hmm. and Halloween for Houdini, that's the that's the most special day you can you could pick. Absolutely. Yeah. What do you think it's is the just, spookiest yeah. part of a seance? I'm sorry. This is the one question that I had on my list that I wanted to ask. Like the, it's the yeah, night, it's, it's the time, but like, what's that, the moment that's the spookiest? Yeah. I, the dark is very spooky. And in our show, we don't go to pitch blackness. Um, mm -hmm. And really to be very like candid with everyone, the reason we didn't do that is we couldn't find a way to do that in a way where we were hundred percent sure of the audience's safety during the experience. We sure, could sure. not ensure it. So we said, no. Um, and that's that. Um, traditionally, a lot of seances would either be done in pitch blackness, candlelight, or in red light. And I don't know how much digging you guys or your audience have done into red light seances. That could be an entire episode. It's very unique. 
um, some of the beliefs behind red light and also some of the science behind red light is very stunning. It is something I'd experimented with early in the development of the show and the results were very intense mm. um, in a way that was completely unexpected to me. Mm. Um, but I think the darkness is very important. I think the prop, if you know, to be very kind of theatrical and specific, I think spirit boards people find there's a lot of emotions behind it. When I Absolutely. was getting the show read, I was like, are we going to, are we going to use a spirit board? And I read, there are two great books. And if your listeners are interested, we can pop them in the show, to, show notes. Um, yeah. But I, I want to double check them. Yeah. But there are two books on spirit boards and Ouija boards that I'd really explored and the folklore behind it and how it's kind of changed over time mm -hmm. and how different people have reacted to it, um, how different religious figures have reacted to it, both negatively and also in a very blase way of, ah, <laughs> was something I was not expecting. Yeah. I, you see a huge Definitely. shift in the 70s with horror movies where Ouija become like scary popular songs about Ouija boards from like 1910, where you really start to get a sense of how common it was and how kind of yeah, just you know we might do that friday night you know go over to betsy's house we'll get out we'll have a seance and maybe there'll be punch and you know <laughs> then we'll take the horse back to the farm yeah. um, so i think that part for people can be there's lots of emotions that go into it yeah i think the candlelight is also very interesting mm -hmm. um very suddenly are we in environments that are purely lit by candles and when we first did a check of the um, space that we're in, and we lit all the candles. There is something so unique about that. Yeah. Um, that's really like, like it sounds so, I don't know. It, it doesn't sound particularly interesting because you're like candles. I could just go to Ikea and get like a pack of a hundred. Um, <laughs> but when you're in a room of all candles and everyone's all, all in black, there's something so spooky. And as far as some of the things, um, some of the stuff with slates, I found very interesting. Uh, work with slates and seances, very popular amongst mediums, but also magicians. Magicians use slates in their shows very frequently because it was an easy way to write something down and show it to an audience. Sure. You know, other than, because sure. uh, there weren't really markers, you know, in 1910. If you write something on a blackboard or on a slate, it's easy to see because you have the black with the white chalk. Mm -hmm. um, so there was a huge, like, hundreds of routines I could find in regards to slates, but also hundreds of practices with slates. And that was something where that was just exciting to explore. There's something very spooky about it. Mm -hmm. um, um, but it's such an old prop. There's something very spooky and unusual about it. And I think just the people as mm -hmm. kind of I, I, the people who, because when you're doing a seance, you're working with people. It's not a show where you're just watching. Mm -hmm. yeah it's where experiencing it and everyone's kind of working together and what the people bring to it is something i am unable to predict and makes it really interesting so for example i brought up the automatic writing um event in houdini's life and we recreate that in the show mm -hmm. so one person thinks of a famous historical figure who's passed and someone else gets a piece of paper and a pen and i set a timer and i just tell them to go and they draw and then we look at it, I ask them what they see, and perhaps they see um, the letter A and a top hat um, and some circles. And I say, who are you thinking of? And the person says, Abe Lincoln. And things like that are super spooky and unsettling. 
And those moments, I'm just, I'm so excited for. There's many elements to the show that I think are going to be really interesting to people who ne- probably have never seen before. Yeah, very cool. Very interesting. Yeah, I, I think it's going to be an amazing show. I, I, man, those, those 13 people are very, very fortunate. <laughs> Definitely. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, well, anything else you want to tell us? Oh, yeah, sorry. Oh, no, no, it's okay. I was just say anything else you want oh, to tell us about me? the show or oh, no. your, all your, all your, uh, all your other shows that you do. Um, um, there was one other thing that a lot of times people will ask me if I have a favorite, like routine that Harry did in his life for a summer. Oh, or something. oh yeah. Yes, one that's that right. That was out. on my list. Yeah. Sorry. And, no, it's okay. Yeah. Um, but I get that a lot. People will say like, what's your favorite trick of Houdini's? Mm-hmm. And he did a really like, he had a quite a large repertoire. Some magicians, especially oh, yeah. at that time period who were in vaudeville, they might only do a 10 minute act for decades. Mm-hmm. Um, my magic mentor, his mentor was a vaudevillian and he did a 12 minute act his entire life, wow. which is inconceivable to me. Mm-hmm. Like that's wow. such a, a bygone era. Cause it really mm-hmm. isn't a market to do a 12 minute act anymore. Um, mm-hmm. There are in some countries, but as far as like the United States, that is very hard to find. But yeah. my favorite routine of his is something called metamorphosis. And I feel connected to it because I used to do this routine when I was doing a traditional like magic show. And what happens is we have a crate on stage. The crate is inspected. Um, there's a bag inspected and handcuffs. All of it is inspected by a committee. The assistant is then handcuffed, put in the bag. They tie up the bag. They place her into the trunk, the crate. It's padlocked. They go back to their seats. I step on top of it with a curtain and I go one, two, and I say three. The curtain is thrown. And when it comes down, she's on top and I'm inside the lock box, inside the tied up sack, inside the please handcuffs. That's wow. just and crazy. There yeah. are two stories that like come to mind with that. And I don't perform mm-hmm. it anymore um, because now my focus is purely in mind reading, mentalism, and psychic entertainment is I was doing the routine once and and it was for a police event. And I can't remember if it was a fundraiser or like a community event, but the handcuffs are, they were police handcuffs. They were Smith and Wesson regulation police handcuffs. Mm-hmm. And somehow in the routine, when I got out of the box, she had lost the handcuff key. I don't oh know my how God. this happened. But so I'm on stage mm-hmm. and I'm handcuffed. And, you know, I, I definitely wouldn't say that I always know the right thing to say, but in this, a flash of like amazement, I go up to the microphone and say, ladies and gentlemen, to prove that these are indeed genuine police handcuffs, I would like one of the officers from the back of the house to come up here and uncuff me. (laughs) That's brilliant. Yeah. Luckily there was somebody who had like, they were in, they had all their equipment and they were able to unhandcuff me. And we found it weeks later. It had like bounced off and into a case. It was, one of those things that would be like a one in 100 chance. Right. Um, the other time is I was doing it with a really good friend of mine um, who I'm still very close friends with Lauren. And a lot of people don't understand that in illusions, um, which is a magic industry term for like a big trick. So okay. if you, someone says they're an illusionist, um, they could usually from the magic industry perspective, that means you do things with people going into boxes and being sliced and diced and tigers and whatever. Um, is they're very dangerous. Because you're going inside um, a cabinet or a tube or you're laying onto a couch and different things are snapping and happening. 
And if you're not really doing things correctly, it can be very dangerous for the magician, the assistant and parties involved. So we're practicing metamorphosis in my parents' garage. And she said, Jake, I really wanna try the part that you do in the routine. And I said, Lauren, you know, that part can be very dangerous. I'm not sure if I feel comfortable with you trying it. And she said, I'm happy to be careful. I'm just really curious what the experience is like, like for you. Because that metamorphosis is such a tandem uh, routine. You know, it's not just sure. like me, you know, standing outside a cabinet, clapping my hands, clap my hands again, and I bow. You know, we're both of us are really working. And she tried that portion and she shattered her ankle. Oh, and my God. She is fine now, but... I will never forget have us having go to the hospital, her getting in the cast. Um, there was a show we had like a month later, it was assisting me in and she had to do the show in crutches. She was like, I can still do everything else. I'll just do it in crutches. And whenever I see her now, this is well over a decade ago, she always introduces me as the person who broke her leg doing a magic trick <laughs> and that is forever how wow. i'll be introduced socially was that was that the um <laughs> trick that yeah was that the escape that um houdini did where he broke his ankle as well or was that something else he you know what i would have to double check on that he suffered many small injuries and to be honest most people who do magic yeah. with their bodies suffer injuries or incidents at points i've met um, women who have gone head first into compartments that were, you know, filled with tiger pee because oh, they were about to turn geez. it into a tiger wow. and they had to kind yeah. of relax in that for a moment. Whoa. I've met people who've gotten black eyes because something switched or flipped in a situation where it shouldn't have. Um, and, you know, everyone's always being very safe and careful. Just, you know, law of large numbers. Sometimes mistakes sure. happen. Yeah. Um, well, but I know yeah, that so, Houdini yeah. broke his ankle before he died, like right before he died, like 10 days before. Oh. And um, yeah, and he still went on and did his shows, too. It was amazing. Oh, like, yeah. How do you break your ankle and then get up on stage and still do the same stuff that you were doing before? Yeah. You know, it's interesting. Even as a performer now, there are times where I... I've gone on stage where I'm honest. And I was actually talking to Shane about this recently, my husband, where I remember I was doing, um, I was making a pizza and I burnt my hand like pretty severely. And it mm. like, you know, it got, if you've ever burnt your hand on an oven, like, you know, it, it oh, gets yeah. like blister, it's, whatever, red. Yeah. Like a, a blister. It got blistered <laughs> and gross. And mm. I needed full capacity of my hands to do the show. So I remember getting to the gig that day and having to rip off all the blisters oh. to do the show, which was Man. very painful. Yeah, absolutely. Um, you suffer for your art, happens, though. Yeah. Even, you know, performing, you suffer for your art. Yeah. Um, performing outdoors, you know, can be very, very hot. I know that sounds mm. like a weird thing, like, oh, sometimes it's hot. How awful for you. <laughs> um, but, you know, I remember doing like outdoor festivals where it'll mm-hmm. get to be 95 plus degrees and I'm in a full suit. Yeah. And it's, it's toasty, you know? Yeah, yeah definitely. Definitely. But, well, I was a uh, the illusionist for Halloween a couple of years, but I didn't do any big tricks. And, <laughs> <laughs> I did little ones. Didn't hurt myself. Um, <laughs> <laughs> well, now I'm curious about what your, like your routines. The next time we see each other no, in yeah. person, <laughs> we'll have to, I think I well, just I bought like show. a thing of magic. <laughs> I did. 
I won that year. So my friend, <gasps> she did for many years, she did Halloween parties and it was ladies only. So no one felt any pressure to like, you know, be the sexy bunny or whatever weirdness, you know, and I was Lou the illusionist. And, um, and I, I stopped the party and I did like some just simple tricks you'd get at, you know, yeah. your pack of tricks or whatever. And, uh, and I won for best overall costume. That was my, hey. that was my one year, but I, the, <laughs> the best <laughs> But as years later, I found my cape and it was missing a lot of the letters. And I forget, <laughs> I can't remember, but it was, it was very, it, it, Lou, Lou, Lou came back as a zombie. That's just, that's what happened after course, that's, found the costume and it was all battered up. Um, so he, he's, I might have to, maybe i have to bring him back sometime. I don't know. I want to see Lou again. I'm, I'm very <laughs> yeah. intrigued now. Um, so Jacob, I, do you yeah. have any do you have anything uh, else besides this going on that you'd like to talk about? I have one final thing, and it's I'm okay. we're going to run a contest for all of our ghostly listeners. Hey, yeah, well, these, I'm sure everyone listening sure is they're going to love I that. need to see a show. <laughs> so, um, like I said before, I do uh, every single month, I am at Room 13 in Chicago for a show that we call Psychic Speakeasy. And we would like to give out two free tickets to ghostly listeners. Um, so that's a $70 value. And I'm sure your first thought is what if I don't live in Chicago and don't worry, we will get to that. But the (laughs) way that you play is you go to Instagram and you're going to follow me at Mayfield magic. And that's May like the month and field like a field of flowers. So M A Y F I E L D magic. And I'm going to have a ghostly podcast post where you'll see the ghostly logo. And I'll be like, I'm on ghostly. (laughs) And to enter, all you have to do is like the post, and then comment with your favorite part of the interview. What we'll do then is we'll wow. put all the names into a hat. Um, I will let you guys announce it live on the air. So I'll send you like who the winner is. Yay. Now, in the event there is, once again, 2020, um, COVID-19, if for some reason the shows have to cease at a certain point or you don't feel comfortable attending a live event just yet, I mean, we are taking plenty of precautions where your safety is our top priority. We want people to know and feel safe. So that they can enjoy themselves, you know. It's Absolutely. hard to enjoy if you don't feel comfortable. Uh, for an attend, let's say you're listening from somewhere else, um, we will swap that out for a 30-minute Palm and Tarot experience via Zoom or Skype. So even if you're listening in wow. Texas or California or I don't know anywhere really. Antarctica, why not? Yeah. Um, <laughs> if you win the contest and you can't attend or attend the shows are canceled or for some reason you don't feel comfortable attending, we'll get you a free virtual experience. Wow. But once again, so I'm super excited, but so to recap what you have to do, sorry. Yes. Sorry. Um, You be on Instagram at Mayfield magic. You like my ghostly post, you comment with your favorite part. And then I will get Pat and Rebecca, the winner, which I feel like I should make a video of like pulling out of a top hat, some great magician. You know? <laughs> right. um, and then you guys get to announce it and we'll, we'll make it happen for you guys. That's amazing. Wow. I love it. Um, and, you know, if you if you haven't followed Ghostly on Instagram, we are at Ghostly Podcast. So hopefully uh, <laughs> we can we can have we'll certainly uh, post about our, our episode uh, on there mm-hmm. as well. But but to win the contest, they have to go to yeah. at Mayfield Magic and mm-hmm. like follow and comment on the post. Yeah. Yes. Follow, like, comment. <laughs> there you go. I love it. That's very exciting. Thank you very that much. That is so that's, awesome. That's amazing. Thank you. Very cool. Oh, thank you so much for having me. I've been, like I said, comically excited to be on this. <laughs> so 
my Halloween dreams have come true. So thank you guys so much. Oh, well, we're, we've been very excited to have you too. Like I said, I've been trying to figure out a way to to get you on the show ever since last year. So yeah, we are we are huge fans of everything that you do. You're just amazing. So yeah. yeah. All right. Well, thanks so much. Well, yeah. Thank, thank you. you. Listeners, did you know there's a way to share with the world whether you're hashtag team believer or hashtag team skeptic, or for those who need it, hashtag team the middle? It's our store called Ghostly Gear. Yep. And we even have custom ghostly designs like microclimate or even the Easter Island Massacre or of the ghostly logo. Just visit our Ghostly Gear store right on ghostlypodcast.com to order your t-shirt, hoodie, mug, mask, whatever. <laughs> okay, okay. I think we got it. Um, they just need to visit ghostlypodcast.com and click on Ghostly Gear to order right on the website and send us any ideas that you have for new merch. Exactly. Order your merch today and send us a pic of you and your ghostly gear. All right, we're back. Um, man, that interview was good. I really, Jacob, he's such a great guy. Antiquing. He's been antiquing. I don't antique. I'm sorry. Uh, <laughs> it's just, no, I, I'm very um, excited for him and for those lucky enough to get to go to his Houdini seance at right? the end of this month. Oh my gosh. Yeah, I think he's doing like, two or three in the one day. Yeah, I think I know of two seatings anyways, and I think they're yeah. both sold out. Yeah, he's going to be tired after that. Can you imagine, you know, channeling all that energy? It's going to be a lot. Uh, the one thing I didn't say is uh, when when we went to his show, um, now it wasn't like sold out, but there was a lot of people there. Yes. It was pretty full, and he made it a point to involve every single person in some way or another. Yeah, and, and, and you know, not that you had to go up front if you didn't want to, but in some way you were a part of the show. Absolutely. It and was I great. really, I don't know how he did that. I don't yeah. know how he fit that all in there. That was just amazing. He's an amazing guy. Uh, definitely um, go to his Instagram, follow him, like the Ghostly Podcast post, and then comment your favorite part of the interview so that you're in there to win that, win the uh, either to go to one of his shows or to have a private Zoom. Um, I believe he said that he would do a reading. Yeah. No, it's really, he was talking about how he does those, uh, how he's figured it out. And and Mahala actually did that too. So I, there's, there's a way that they can do it. So yeah. Yeah. Absolutely. All right. So I'm ready for the debate. Are you ready for a, a little mini debate? Because this isn't about seances. This is about Houdini's seance, you right? You got it. Yes. Okay. So let's let's do this small part of the overall seance debate. debate. Yes. Okay. So actually, my first piece of evidence is kind of leading up to 
this whole thing with Houdini. Um, there were a lot of mediums who predicted Houdini's death before he died, like about yes. the year before. There were a lot of different people that said he was going to die, including Sir Arthur Conan, Conan Doyle claimed that he and his circle received a message a few months before his death that Houdini is doomed, doomed, doomed. But I think the most compelling evidence of this that I found was that Houdini himself seemed to predict his own death. And I think this gives some evidence about then that he might be able to come back then after death. Mm -hmm. Okay. Okay. So there was a magician, Joseph Dunninger, who was a friend of his, and um, this is from American Hauntings, Inc., which was an amazing article, um, really a long article about Houdini. Um, but it said he said that one morning um, in October 1926, so right yeah. before, um, Houdini called him in New York and asked him to come with his car to his house and because he was in a hurry and had to move some things. When the car was loaded, he asked Dunninger to drive through the park. Dunninger said as they got to the exit um, on Central Park West around 72nd Street, Houdini grabbed him by the arm and urged him to go back to his house, to Houdini's house. Puzzled, Dunninger asked him if he'd forgotten something. and He said, don't ask questions, Joe. Um, Just go back. So Dunninger drove back to the house. And when they arrived, Houdini climbed out of the car and stood looking at the house in the rain. He stayed that way, water dripping down his face and soaking his clothes for a few minutes, and then he got back into the car without saying anything. Dunninger drove off, and when the two men again approached the western exit of the park, he glanced over and saw that Houdini's shoulders had started to shake. He was crying. His friend asked him what was wrong, and Houdini gave a rather cryptic answer. I've seen my house for the last time, Joe. I'll never see my house again. And as far as I know, Dunninger later wrote, he never did, because he went on tour. Wow. So what do you think? Did he uh, predict his own death? All right, so I have I have a couple things. Okay. Um, m- my first thing is probably more likely. All these people were predicting his death. Mm-hmm. Uh, you think that might get to somebody after a little while. And I think that that's what happened. I think enough people told him he was going to die um, that, you know, he got spooked. He got scared. Even though he's a skeptic? Yeah, skeptics still get scared. I get scared sometimes. Okay. But then I always rely upon, you know, my analytical brain to be able to figure out what's going on. Or even if I can't figure it out, I don't jump to the conclusion that this is paranormal. I might for a second, you know, but then after that, it's like, no, I'm sure that there's some other reason for it. If I can't, if I can't explain it, saying that it's absolutely 100% paranormal, then I'm going to assume it's not. Mm. So that's why I'm always, you know, when I'm giving my ratings, it's always so low. Gotcha. Another theory that I have is that Dunninger is a liar. (laughs) That was... (laughs) A bold-faced liar. (laughs) Now, that actually did occur to me. I was like, eh, I wonder, you know, it's just this one guy telling this story. Yeah. Um... You always hear stuff like that when a famous person dies. Yeah. You know, that uh, somebody knew that they were going to die. Yeah. I mean, I think it could have happened. Um, Sure, it could have. 
But does that mean it's paranormal? I don't know. It's it's very odd. I will say going to your first thing, though, because I think that is a really big question when people keep predicting your death. They were pretty close. There was one um, medium that he kind of had a big, I don't know, to do with kind of throughout um, uh, his life there at the end and who was within a month of predicting his death. Well, I don't know if you knew this, but the spiritualist movement, there were a lot of people within that movement that had actually sent him death threats. Wow. He was getting daily death threats. Yeah. Well, I and I actually, I read um, a novel that had this theme because I think it's an interesting question. You know, if you were told the day that you were going to die, like, in, and you did die, is it really because of some paranormal thing or is it because you were told that and so you did things that made it happen? You know, and I th- that's just an interesting question. Well, um, my grandmother at my my mother and father's wedding predicted her death. She predicted it one year to the day. Wow. She said, I will be dead in one year, and she was dead one day short of one year. Wow. Well, I, you know, what I think is, uh, I actually think this might be, there might be something where he he felt like there was something going on with him, um, you know, I and that, you know, he kind of had an inkling, but I don't know if it's paranormal. You know what I mean? I think biologically, sometimes people have a feeling. Well, I've I've heard that as well, that people know when they're going to die, and I don't know how much I believe that because I've known people that have died that gave no indication, but then I've known people that have died that gave all the indications, Yeah, you know, so I don't know. Well, I don't know that it's everybody. I'm just saying sometimes it happens. I don't know. I can't, I can't prove or disprove that. Yeah. It's weird though. I'm going to say it's a little weird. Speaking of weird, what's your rating? So I'm actually going to give it a five. Okay. I mean, I, I am a little like shaky on it, but yet like, man, all these people predicting it and then he himself doing this potentially, um, there's something a little funky about it, but I'm not totally there. How about you? I'll give it a one. Okay. All right. Because, as I said, he was getting constant death threats. People, um, and and they were predicting his death for a long time. Yeah. It wasn't just in that last year. They were predicting his death a long time before that. And also, the stuff that he did was very risky. Exactly. Yes. And he was in in his 50s. He was 52 when he died. Yeah. So, I mean, it's not like it was, it was going to happen. At some point, <laughs> like obviously. well, I mean, yeah, we all we all I, die, I Rebecca. But I'm just saying, like it, like it wasn't like he was in his 20s and like doing safe magic. Yeah, you know, I mean, there no, was... I mean, his stuff was really brutal and really uh, physically taxing, and he was in astonishing shape. Mm-hmm. Um, so uh, you know how he died was that um, he was getting ready for a show. And he was, um, he, he had, so I mentioned this in Jacob's interview, um, but I didn't get into details about it. He had, um, broken his ankle Uh, 10 days before his death and, uh, he was getting ready to do a show. So typically he would be up and moving around and loosening up. 
but because of the foot or because of the ankle, he was he was laying down. And um, a I believe the the person that actually did it was like a college kid, which some there is a big conspiracy theory that says that the um, spiritualist movement hired him mm. to do this. I don't know how true that is, but anyways, um, so there were a few people that entered the dressing room, and he said to him, you know, I hear that you can take a punch to your stomach. And Houdini said yes. And what he would do to do this is tighten up all the muscles in his stomach so that um, it would, it would, um, the blow would actually cover more of his body than, than just that one spot. But he didn't have a chance to do this. He was also laying down. And the guy hit him several times in the stomach. And supposedly that um, that started the rupture of his of his appendix. Um, so, though others have said that it was already happening, and that might have, yeah, like hurt, like antagonized it. But yeah, there's a lot of different things yeah. that could have happened. But um, all of his stuff was so physically demanding that. Um, him hurting his or him breaking his ankle like he did um actually messed up some of his some of his tricks that he did too yeah so they said that he was not he was not himself after that yeah all right you ready for our next one all I'm right i'm definitely ready for the next piece of evidence all right that. so uh we talked about this in the interview with jacob is mm-hmm. arthur ford's claim um, he's the one who claimed that in 1928 that he got the um, the right message from yes. Houdini. Um, he was a pastor at the First Spiritualist Church of Manhattan, and he first announced that he had a message for Bess, and the message was just one word, forgive. Um, surprisingly to everyone, given how many people would give her messages all the time, um, Bess responded by saying it was the first message she had heard that had any appearance of, of the truth. And I, there's a lot to that. It has something to do with his, his mother and his guilt over her death and, and those kind of things. But she, she felt that, no, oh, that might be something. But it wasn't, you know, the code words or anything. Then in November of 1928, Ford claimed to have another message for Bess. And it was, Rosabelle, answer, tell, pray, answer, look, tell, answer, answer, tell. Um, After hearing this, Bess invited Ford to her home, and he supposedly asked her to take off her wedding ring and tell the group what Rosabelle meant. And she said it was the name of a song that had been popular the year Bess and Houdini met at Coney Island. So at first, Bess totally believed this was the message from Houdini. She was going to give him the $10,000. And then all of a sudden, a few weeks later, she comes out saying, oh, no, he's a fraud and it's a fraud. Um, And she had been convinced by, you know, other people in her life um, that it was uh, that it was a fraud. Um, I guess there was a book that had been published the year before that had those code words they were they were old code words from their act that had they hadn't used in a while but they so they had been published in a, in a book about 
Houdini and, and whatever. Um, but the, I don't believe that Rosabelle was part of that. Um, Ford died in 1974, always maintaining that he had received the message and it was from Houdini. Okay. Well, um, like Jacob said in the interview, though, is that um, Bess's lover and partner at the time, um, I believe this is what Jacob said. I could be wrong. Um, gave Ford the message. And that's the reason why he was able to. And it wasn't like he was trying to deceive Bess. It was it was accidental. Mm. Um, so that's that's the explanation that I have that he was given this information from somebody else. Mm. I have not, I hadn't read that, but that's, yeah, that is what he said. Um, you know, to me though, it seems very suspicious that, I mean, best felt very strongly about it. And I feel like she was dissuaded and it not necessarily that it was proven to her, but that she just was kind of persuaded not to believe it. However, I did read that even though this was a meaningful message to her, that that, that is not the secret word that mm, they had okay. decided on. And also, let me let me say this too. Bess was not as big of a skeptic as, as Houdini was. Mm. Houdini was the big, um, the big skeptic, and he wouldn't have been had his mother not died and uh, had he not have gotten screwed over in that one reading that he had, Mm -hmm. if the person had just said, I'm not picking up anything, there would not be a skeptic Houdini then. That's when it really hit him. Mm, Yeah, that's true. That people were getting screwed over for for their beliefs. Yeah. And that that infuriated him. Yeah. I mean, Ford was interesting. He, um, he like, he actually won a few debates or a debate anyways against the skeptic, but then he was also kicked out of the spiritualist group for a while, but then they had to let him back in. So he had a very dramatic life, I think. Um, so I don't know. What do you, so are you, what would you give this? I'm going to give this one a zero. Okay. I'm going to give this one again, a five. Like I'm not really there with it. Like, it is a little weird that he had this name of a song that was like their special song from when they met. Um, but that the fact that the rest of the words were all words that had been previously in a published book. Yeah. Seems a little weird. Yeah. Yeah. It definitely does. All right. So this next one I think is the strongest one. Okay. Okay. Um, but the last one's really weird. Okay. But this one is the thunderstorm that Jacob mentioned. Yeah. I thought we should talk about that. So at the end of the last official Houdini seance with Bess, it was in Hollywood, mm-hmm. the Knickerbocker Hotel. Um, and at the very end, you know, the thunderstorm crashed um, and uh, supposedly was only over the hotel itself and not anywhere else. Okay. Well, I think, first of all, that that part is a lie. <laughs> that it was over more than just the Knickerbocker. Um, also, there was no other activity nine other years when they did it on the anniversary of his death. And uh, as Jacob had said, she might have even been doing seances daily. I know at least every Sunday for a while she was. Yeah, so um, there was nothing else big like this. Um, yes, it is rare for a storm to just hit like that in uh, California, but they can. It can happen. It's perfectly allowed in science that a storm can happen without any warning anywhere. 
It could happen in the middle of the desert, which L.A. is kind of a desert, right? Yes. So it can happen. I mean, and if it can, then this is just a big coincidence. Yeah, well, I mean, again, I think, I mean, and you can have a pretty localized thunderstorm that is possible. Um, but I think it's just, to me, it's very odd that it happened right at the end, like I, at the perfect moment. I've been at a place where uh, I could uh, cross the street and it was raining on one side of the street and not on the other. Yeah. Yeah. So, yeah, I don't know. I'm going to give that one a um, a one. <gasps> Wow. Yeah. I'm going to give it a six. Ooh, wow. Yeah. Rebecca. Again, it's, I find it a little more compelling. Hmm. Yeah. It's still not totally compelling. Not totally compelling. Yeah. All right. All right. Here's the last one. Okay. Okay. So there was a, <laughs> there was a program in 1987 called the, um, called the Search for Houdini hosted by none other than William Shatner. Oh, geez. Um, and it was, <laughs> So the official Houdini Sands was incorporated into this live, so it was live television special. Um, it was basically a magic variety show with like Penn and Teller and the Pen Dragons, like real people, like do real magicians doing stuff. And at the end, they did the official Sands um, hosted by Sidney Rad- Radner. And I saw a picture. There's like, you know, all these people there. And this man, Mark Alberto Holt, worked behind the scenes in lighting effects, and he tells this story. I was there doing the special lighting effects. One such effect was lighting inlaid into the seance table with plexiglass over the top for dramatic effect on each person around the table. During rehearsals, it was determined to bring the levels of the lights down from 70% full to 25%. Just perfect for that glow effect up the faces. So starts the seance. I was told that the people around the table were relatives of Houdini and seance experts. This part of the show was not scripted. I still have the Shatner script. Toward the end of the seance, one end of the plexiglass started to warp live on TV. This must have raised six inches above the table. It could not have been from the heat of the lights under. They were barely on. Producers screamed to go to commercial... The people at the table wanted to continue due to the fact there was a sign. Mr. Shatner had no choice other than to listen to the producers and go to commercial. I left the lighting board that was in the audience and dashed onto the stage. There was sheer chaos on the stage. The plexiglass was cool, but it was lifted. The crew started clearing the stage and the screams from Houdini's family rang through the theater to continue the seance. That was the last anyone spoke of this. I was there, and so was Harry. Hmm. Well, uh, you mentioned Penn and Teller were there. Yes. Penn is a bigger skeptic than I am. <laughs> he is. Um, and um, he would have mentioned this if this was something relevant. So um, I am going to say, unlike unlike um, the author of this, that it could have been the lights that warped it. Even though they were on 25%, um, you know, I've done a lot of stage work in my day, and those lights can be so hot even when they're very low. And also, too, to direct that kind of light on the plexiglass, which is already kind of, 
you know, flimsy-ish kind of to begin with, it's super possible that it could melt it. And it could have been cool to the touch by the time he got there because it's plexiglass. That's what it is. You know, uh, it's just one of its characteristics. Um, But my biggest evidence against it is that Penn was there and Penn did not say, Penn has never said anything about it. And he would. He's that guy. He would. Well, maybe he hasn't. You haven't heard him talk about it. I've listened to a lot of Penn Sunday School. It's one of my favorite shows, uh, one of my favorite podcasts. Um, and he continues to be a skeptic. That's true. So if this was something so real, um, and actually he has talked about Houdini and being in Houdini seances. I don't remember a William Shatner being... <laughs> well, I don't know that Penn was at the seance part. He might have been backstage. I don't know. He just performed in the show. But still, he would have he would have said something <laughs> well, if this was true. I will say, though, he says that they didn't... Tur- it's not like they turned off the lights. So the lights were still on when he went to the stage and it was cooled. And six inches seems like a lot for like a 10-minute period of time and there wasn't like any other part of the table had this happened to it i don't know seems seems a little bit of something it's not a lot though but it's a little bit of something it's plexiglass that it's very possible for plexiglass to bend that way uh and again that's not even my biggest evidence my biggest evidence is pen okay pen would have said something all right, so what are you giving this Penn, when you're listening to this show, <laughs> please um, call us. Um, and We've both we'll met get, you before. We'll get you on the show. Yeah, we both <laughs> we both have met Penn, both when he was at his heavier time. Uh, well. Yeah, yeah. so um, anyways, but yeah, let us know, Penn. We, we would gladly have you on the show and... Um, but he would not take it as easy as I do on you, Rebecca. Oh, okay. Thank he you. He would be worse than Nick Mataragas. Wow. Yeah. All right. So what's your rating on this one? Zero. Zero. All right. Uh, I'm giving this one a six as well. Again, okay. a little bit more. All right. What's your overall rating, Rebecca? So my overall rating is going to be a six. Your overall rating is going to be a six. Wow. Yeah. So okay. like a little bit of belief, not a lot of belief. Okay. Um, my overall rating is gonna be a um, a one. Oh, wow! Overall one. Interesting. Yeah, Houdini would hate me for that. He would. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. So that brings us to the closing arguments. This is our last chance to convince you to vote our way. We are each given one minute of uninterrupted time. We will time each other on our cell phones to keep each other honest. Rebecca Rivers, are you ready? Yes. All right, go. All right. So I I went into this, to be honest, not thinking that I would have a lot of belief because there's just never been a lot discussed. You know, I mean, you hear about Houdini, you hear about him being a skeptic and a escape artist and that there were these seances, but I, I never heard of anything that actually happened at any of these seances. But when I do the research... You know, there have been a few things that have happened. Um, You know, uh, there's, you know, there there are these stories with the the thunderstorm and the Ford message. I have to say that really creeped me out reading about it. And like there's enough that makes it a little bit skeptical, but there's also 
kind of so many things that I have to just edge it over a little bit to that believer side uh, in the end. That's it. You're done? I'm done. Oh, wow. You had like five seconds. That's what happens. Are you ready? Yes, I am. Okay. And go. So we have to remember in Houdini's day and age, it was not acceptable for somebody to come out as a skeptic. The spiritualist movement was huge. It had a lot of politicians in it. It had a lot of police officers in it. It had a lot of um, mobsters in it. It had a lot of everybody in it. And they set out to try to disprove anything that Houdini did and said and was. The spiritualist movement stopped at nothing and might have actually killed him. So I'm going to say that there is no way any of this is real. Houdini has never been contacted in a seance, unfortunately. Wow, you had seven seconds left. I I had to beat you. Oh, okay. So I want to thank everyone so much for listening uh, to week number two of our seance series. Please share us with your friends and family as word of mouth is our best advertisement, especially during this time of the year. Spooky. Yeah, this is the most ghostliest time of the year. Yeah, and we're getting creepy. So this is the time when people want to listen to these spooky ghost stories. So let them know about us and they could binge all of our episodes. Yep. And we could just get tons of downloads then. <laughs> so, um, but it's the time when we announce our next episode. And I am almost more excited about this next episode as I was this one. Is it possible? No, it's not. I'm probably still going to be more excited about Houdini. But <laughs> No, I'm excited about this one. The next one we are going to be talking about is Mary Todd Lincoln. Ooh. And that will come out next week, Wednesday, on October 21st, before our ultimate wrap-up on October 28th. Now, I will say that there was going to be no interview next episode. It's me and Rebecca. Yeah, it's 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 mano all us. Mano. mano a mano. Uh, we're gonna we're gonna have a, a good An old, old fashioned fashion ghostly episode. Yeah, lots of good history, presidential history, spiritualism. Oh, it's gonna be great. It's gonna be. And remember to go vote in the polls. We are still having them, and. We don't have much time for you to vote. Yeah, you just got a few days, so make sure you get on to ghostlypodcast.com and click on the polls. So it is very important that you listen to every single one of these episodes. And remember to go enter uh, Jacob Mayfield's contest. Oh, yes, definitely. Remember, so what do they need to do? They got to follow him on Instagram. And, what is his Instagram? Uh, Mayfield Magic. Mayfield Magic. Yeah, at, at Mayfield Magic. And then uh like the ghostly post. It's a uh, just a he, uh it's a big ghostly podcast logo. So yeah. very easy to find. He might uh, put another one up. He might have a couple it. posts yeah. up, I think. Yeah. Um and then uh so like it and give a comment with your favorite part of the interview and then you could get your a free ticket to a show or your own private reading. It's fantastic. Yeah. And um, make sure that you follow him. That's part of it, yes. right? Yes. Mm-hmm. Got to follow him, like the post, and then make a comment. And uh, we'll announce it. So until next week, stay ghostly. Bye. <laughs>